This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. It's so good to have you today as we are in a brand new series today. You know, over the last few years, I really have been pondering on this and and studying this in a very, very deep way and actually been looking forward to preach this and to get into the Word of God, uh, especially this weekend. We're going to start a study. We're going to start a study in the book of Revelation, and we're going to be looking at the seven churches of Revelation, and we're going to begin to see that in these churches is a message for you and I, that there is a powerful application for us, that we individually and we corporately as a church, there is a message that God wants to show us, that the struggles, the different kinds of struggles that we're going to see in these churches are the same kind that you and I face, and it's the same things that we walk through as a church, and yet there is a message of encouragement to those that overcome. And I don't know about you, but I want to be an overcomer. Can I just hear an amen right now that we are overcomers? Now, as we get started today, I want you to take your Bibles, click in your devices over to the book of Revelation. We're going to read a, a good little part of scripture in the beginning as I begin to unpack it, help us to begin to understand it. Now, After the death of Christ, a little bit of background for you to help us to understand uh, what's happening in the book of Revelation, but especially this revelation to John. Right after the death of Christ, um, Rome and all the surrounding territories began to be very, very hostile to Jesus' followers. They began to persecute them, put them to death for their faith. In fact, according to tradition, we know, uh, according to the tradition, that every disciple except for John, every disciple was martyred for their faith. John was exiled to an island, the island of Patmos, and it was during his exile that Jesus himself is going to come to him, and he's going to give him this vision and this revelation. And not only that, an angel comes, he says, and explains the vision to him. That must have been a very uh, powerful uh, exchange of, help me to understand what I've seen in this this vision. And uh, he was given a vision of things that were going to come afar off. I believe, and that's why I've really been looking at this and focusing in on this, uh, I really believe that that is closer than it's ever been. That we're moving in to the signs of the end time and we're beginning to see things that John saw that were going to happen afar off are now happening in our time. But he was also given a message for seven churches. Now, these were literal churches at the time, and yet there is a message for us today. These would have been the seven churches in Asia Minor, and uh, they would have been planted in a big, all around the area, around Ephesus, and we're going to read about those and talk about those over the next several weeks. And so, I want to share with you a couple of scriptures that lay up this for us. First of all, let's start in chapter one. Chapter one, let's start right at the very beginning. Chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The book unveils, chapter 1, verse 1, some of the future activities soon to occur in the life of Jesus Christ. God permitted him to reveal these things to his servant John in a vision. Now, John's writing here in the third person, but he is the one. And then an angel was sent from heaven to explain the vision's meaning. If you'll go down to verse 4, It's from John to the seven churches in Turkey. And dear friends, he writes, believers, those in the church, it was a message to the churches. I want you to remember that when we walk through this, is it was a message to those in the churches because it's a message for us today. May you have grace and peace from God who is and was and is to come and from the sevenfold spirit before his throne. If you'll go down a few more, more verses in verse 9 it says it is I your brother John a fellow sufferer for the Lord's sake who am writing this letter to you 
I too have shared the patience Jesus gives and will sh uh, and, 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 and we shall share his kingdom together. I was on the island of Patmos exiled there for preaching the word of God and for telling what I knew about Jesus Christ. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping when suddenly, don't you love the suddenness of scripture? Suddenly I heard a loud voice behind me, a voice that sounded like a trumpet blast saying, I am A and Z, Alpha and Omega, the Greek alphabet for A to Z. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And then I heard him say, write down everything you see and send your letter to the seven churches in Turkey, to the church in Ephesus, in Samaria, and those in Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Father, as we've opened your word, I know that your word is the bread of life and God, it brings revelation. And today I pray that you will use the book of Revelation to bring illumination to our mind, our spirit, to our life, to our church. Father, I pray that you will show us the message that you have for us today and that which you desire to do in and through us as believers and as a church. We receive it. We accept it. We determine to overcome. And Father, today, I thank you that your word will bring illumination to us. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Now, John says, I, he, I, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. Now, Patmos was an island that was rocky. It was barren. It was a place of punishment. And uh, it was a place that John was exiled because of preaching the word of God. For his faith, he was exiled there. And his struggle would have been daily trying to just find food. It was not a very big island. It would have been struggling to find food and water and just survive. And he was exiled there by the emperor of that time. After the emperor dies, John actually ends up coming back uh, to the church of Ephesus. And man, what a, a moment of encouragement, I can just say, because we see that even as John was exiled, Jesus comes to him and meets him. He didn't abandon him. He didn't leave him there. He was not abandoned by Christ. And in our deepest pains and in our moments of deep need, Jesus always moves in when we cry out to him. And when we ask for him to be there with us, to walk through the storm, Jesus is there and he'll meet us in those moments. And that's what happened with John, the, uh, John on the island of Patmos. And so my word of encouragement as we continue on is no matter what you're walking through right now. Call out to him. No matter where you're at on your journey with Christ, trust him. Ask him to walk with you, to be with you, to just to encourage you in the journey that you're walking through. These seven churches, now I'm just giving a little background as we lay into this series, just so that we can understand it. These seven churches were the seven churches at this time in Asia. They didn't have the amount of churches that we have today. And these seven churches, if you look at a map, it's almost in a big circular route. This letter, this letter that's written to every church would have been read by every church. And really we're gonna see that the, the seven churches have a different message. There are certain challenges that are the same, but there's a different message that's being released to each one, and it would have encouraged all of them at that time. And uh, let me just say that Ephesus, the church we're going to study today, was probably, uh, or not probably, was the largest and the most influential church of the seven and in the entire, uh, the entire uh, region at that uh, time. Ephesus really was a very uh, strategic location. It was a major seaport. And if you'll look at a map, you'll be able to see where where it would have been a port and it would have been the entry port that, that all trade would have came to as it would have been going throughout uh, Asia. And so it was a very, very strategic place. In fact, it said that from 
Ephesus, all roads would have led to all major cities. It was called at that time the light of Israel because whatever, or not Israel, of Asia, because whatever would have happened in Ephesus, it would have flowed throughout Asia. So whatever happened there, Asia would have experienced it. And that's just like God. It really is that, that God will use something very strategic, maybe even in times of suffering and trials and, and circumstances circumstances, God is still strategic to get his word and his message of salvation out to uh, society and to a lost and to a dying world. And he's still doing that today. Uh, Paul, Paul is the one that planted the church. In book of Acts, Acts chapter 19 was when the church of Ephesus would have been started. In fact, Paul pastored it for three uh, years there and, and they, they uh, had deep discipleship and training. In fact, there was a lot of opposition, uh, but yet there was also uh, a lot of miraculous miracles. God used Paul and the church of Ephesus in a very powerful way uh, to touch the entire region at uh, that time. And it had great pastors. I mean, the Apostle Paul planted it. Timothy was a pastor. Apollos was also a pastor. And now John, uh, the Apostle John is pastoring the church and would have been the apostle over these seven churches. So that's a little bit of the background. Let's look at the first letter to the church of Ephesus. I've titled this message today, A Loveless Church, because you're going to see that the Lord commends this church, but there's a challenge. There's a correction that he has for them. So flip over to chapter two and let's look at verse one in chapter two. I'm reading from the Living Bible. It says, write a letter to the leaders of the church of Ephesus and tell them this. I write you to inform you of a message from him who walks among the churches and holds their leaders in his right hand. He says to you, I know how many good things that you are doing. I have watched your hard work and your patience. I know that you don't tolerate sin among your members and you have carefully examined the claims of those who say that they are apostles but aren't. You have found out how they lie and how they really live. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Yet there still is one thing wrong. You don't love me as for at uh, you don't love me as at first. Think about those times of your first love. How different now, he says, and turn back to me again and work as you did before, or else I will come and I will remove the candlestick from its place among the churches. But there is this about you that is good. You hate the deeds uh, of the, uh, the Nickelodeons and, and just as I do, let this message, let this message sink into the ears of anyone who listens to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life and in the paradise of God. Now, this is our first message from the Lord to our first church, the church of Ephesus. And really, there are some things that, man, any pastor would desire in every member, and any pastor would want to pastor this kind of church, because there really are some qualities that he's talking about here, some qualities of an apostolic church. What is an apostolic church? Is a, a church that's moving in the spirit. It's a missional church. It's a church that is experiencing the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There is a fresh outpouring of the spirit of God. And it's a church that's looking at how does it go beyond its walls? How does it plant more churches? How does it raise up leaders? How does it train and release pastors to be able to make the impact that God would want it to make. 
Well, Jesus is commending the church here in Ephesus because it was a very apostolic church. And there was great, great qualities about this church that I want to point out. And it was things in their lives and in their church that we have to emulate. We have to say, God, I want to have that. I want to work towards that. I desire that in my life as well. The first thing he points out, and it's a quality of an apostolic church, is he points out their service. Service. In the Bible, service and ministry is the same word. He points out their ministry, their service. They were a hardworking church. They were involved. They were active. I mean, they were engaged. You talk about a church that got it done. That was the church of Ephesus. In fact, the word that's used here, this word labored, labored in the original that it's written in, in Greek, that word labor literally means that they would work and, and, and it was a hard work, a hard kind of labor, even a, 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 a labor that would wear on them and they would work without toil uh, and keep toiling and, and keep moving forward. It was a work that even would have a measure of fatigue to it because they were working to get the job job done. I don't know about you, but I have a passion to to see the kingdom of God advance, to see the ministry of God go forth, to see the name of Jesus be exalted and preached around the world. And to that labor, I can feel with this church their service, their mission, their, their desire to minister for the Lord. The Lord says, I see your labor. I mean, there's some of you that are watching right now that you're a part of this service right now, that you're, you're, uh, you're hearing that. And the reality, if you did a review of your life, you've been walking with God for years and years. You've been serving the Lord for many, 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 many years. And that would be a message the Lord would be saying to you. He'd be saying to me, I believe, that I see your labor. I see your passion. I see the commitment to advance my kingdom. And that is a good thing. I think every one of us have a mandate. I like to call it an anointing. You have an anointing that you've got to embrace because it's the anointing that advances the mission of Christ and the church of God, the the church of, of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we've got to embrace that anointing, those gifts and those passions that he puts in our heart. We like to call it your shape, your divine design that you and I would push forward into the work of the kingdom of God and we would push back darkness in our labor. Well, Jesus said to them, an apostolic quality is I see your labor. I see your service. A second thing that he says to this church is, I see how steadfast you were. Their steadfastness. Well, now that's a word we don't use much anymore, but it really means their patience, that they patiently endured. Another way we like to say it a lot is they persevered. And boy, right now, we're in persevering moments, aren't we? Moments where we've just got to have the fortitude and the patience. We've got to be steadfast. We've got to patiently endure. I mean, it literally means that someone remains. They stay. They remain in one spot. They keep their position. They resolve that 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 which has been gained, the territory that they have must be maintained. They're not going to let loose. I believe what the enemy's doing right now is he's using this COVID season to try to bring apathy and and complacency and, and, and allow people to drift in their walk with God. Well, I'm determined in my heart and I hope that you'll join with me that we will be steadfast, that we will patiently, patiently endure. We will hold our place. We will hold on to the territory and we will move forward for the kingdom of God. Can I just hear an amen. Just like it for me. Whatever. Do a a, a shout in your house of amen because it's something that the Lord calls us to do. This word, steadfastness, patiently enduring, was really a picture 
of a person who gives everything to a project or to an assignment and they're working at every fiber within them of their being. They're working towards it, uh, working towards it and, and, and it's the hardest kind of steadfastness where they're not going to allow themselves to be shaken or removed and, and, and really it was a military sense where soldiers would hold or maintain their posts. If you've ever gone over to England, I think over in England, uh, uh, when you go by Buckingham Palace or some of the other royal places, you would see the soldiers standing in their position. And they, I mean, you try to get their attention and they're looking straight. They won't even look at you. Well, that's the idea that, that one is holding their position. They're maintaining their position regardless of the opposition, regardless of what they may be facing. They're holding, they hold on, and they hold on, and they persevere. And, and no matter what's coming, they're not going to give up. They're not going to surrender. They're not going to yield. They're not going to let obstacles knock them down. No matter what comes, they're not going to quit. Man, that's the kind of faith that we need to have is that we're not going to quit. We're going to hold on to the very end. And that's what Jesus says. He says about the church of Ephesus is they refuse to bend. They refuse to break. They refuse to give up. And God, I pray that you'll give us that kind of faith that says, God, I'm not going to bend and I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to let go no matter what comes my way. Just give the Lord to praise right now. Just praise him where you're at because I believe that's what God wants to do in and through each and every one of us. A third thing that I see here, an apostolic quality of the church of Ephesus. He commends them for their service. He commends them for their steadfastness. But thirdly, and I love this one, he says they, they stood against evil. They stood against evil. And boy, more than ever as a church, we've got to stand against evil. I talked about this last week. We've got to stand, no matter what is happening in society around us, the values of, these, of this world that we live in is contrary to the values of the kingdom of God. And you and I have got to determine, just like the church of Ephesus, that we're going to stand against evil and wickedness, against carnality, against that which would infiltrate into the church and get us to a place that we would compromise, that we rationalize, that we begin to get so self-absorbed and self-centered and, and focused on our own needs that we, we begin to allow the things of the world, we begin to be like the world, the things of the world begin to be values that we adopt and we embrace into our own life. And he says to the church of Ephesus, you stood against the evil. You stood against that which would come in, the carnality, you would not bear with it. Instead, you continue to live a life of holiness. You continue to walk a life of sanctification. You continue to hold up and you stood against it. Another, the fourth and final quality that I see that he says about the church of Ephesus. It's an apostolic quality. Serving, being steadfast, persevering, standing against evil. They stood against it. But fourthly, they had sound doctrine. They had sound doctrine. They tested everything that would come in. Preachers and teachers that would come uh, that, that would not have a sound message. You see, Ephesus, I told you earlier, was the gateway. It was the light to Asia. It was the gateway into Asia. It was a major port. And in these early years, many would come and they would recognize they understood the authority and the power that apostles had over people and over regions. And so many would come claiming to be an apostle. Now, an apostle, I, would, I don't think that's a title that we self-take on. We don't self-proclaim it, right? It's not, a, it's not a little badge that we put on to ourselves. It's something that we grow into. It's something that is recognized. It's something that we begin to, to see taking place in one's ministry by the impact of their ministry and the churches that they're leading and the impact that they're having and, the, and the, if it would be the amount of pastors and churches that, that they're mentoring and and, and 
raising up and discipling the gift of the apostle. But many would come and, and, and they would claim to be an apostle. Well, the, uh, the church of Ephesus didn't just say automatically, well, all right, welcome, we're glad you're here. But they would test them. They would, they would have a season of, of watching and, and, uh, and, and observing and, and making sure that this one truly had the gift of the apostle, gifts of a pastor, gifts of a teacher, one that was there for the sheep, one that was there to, to uh, encourage and to guide and to care for the, the flock of God, the, the body of Christ. And so the church of Ephesus didn't quickly just uh, endorse one and send them out into Asia because they knew the damage that that could cause. And see, what happens is if we are not careful, we can actually hurt and damage and hinder the work of God if we don't understand the ways of God, the principles of God, and even the ministry of God and how to do God's work and God's ministry. And so he says you had sound doctrine. Now what does that mean for you and I today is that we have a, a faith that's solid. We have a faith that's maturing. We have a faith that's developing and growing. I mean, if you're a follower of Christ, you need to be deepening your knowledge of God. You need to be deepening your relationship with God and your understanding of God. You need to understand. I mean, I gave you a little background today of the book of Revelation. As I begin to do it, I was conflicted in my spirit because for many of you, you would have tuned out as soon as I began to go into the depth of the word of God. We like that's what's shallow. We like that that spurs us and, and inspiration and, and, and some of these things. But many times when it gets to the depth of the word, we pull back from that. But maturity is a process. It's not a destination. It's not just a class. It's not just a course. It's not just a degree but it's continuously, daily. I believe it's a daily habit where we're growing, we're studying, we're learning, we're deepening. The more you hear the word, the more you're joining with us in, in, a, in, a, in a worship environment and in teaching of the word of God, you're strengthening your faith and you're developing your faith. And that's what the church of Ephesus had, is they had believers that were mature. The preaching that came from that church, I can guarantee you, Paul and Timothy and Apollos and, and Apostle John, I can guarantee you, it was solid biblical preaching. It was a, a preaching that would unpack the theology of who God is. It was, a, it was a preaching that would help you to understand how do you do the work of God and bring pleasure to God. You see, that's what we need. It's not just give me, give me, give me God. It's it's not just God, I need this, I need this, I need this. But it's an understanding of the character and the nature and the ministry and the work of God to advance the kingdom and the glory of God. Well, he says that is what this church had. And man, it's a picture. It's a picture of a church that was loyal, a picture of a church that was devoted, a picture of a church that was committed, a picture of a church that was steadfast, persevering. They weren't there and gone when pressures or trials or persecution came. Their pastor was exiled to the island of Patmos, and yet here, here he's writing back to his church, to his flock, and he's saying to them, from the message of the Lord, I see your labors, I see your toil, I see what's going on, and that was what was in the church here of Ephesus. Now, these are good things, and many times I think when we read through the book of Revelation, we just speed right past these four qualities. But I'm telling you, these are apostolic qualities. These are qualities that we need in our personal life, and these are qualities that we need in our church. And so before I wrap this message up, I want us to take a few moments. I'm gonna invite our band to come back, and I want us to take a few moments, and I want us to pray on that. I've asked Pastor Nadine to lead us in prayer for a moment, and I want us to pray that God would help us to be apostolic as a church, that we would embrace these qualities, and that they would become a part of who we are and our ministry so that we can make the impact that God has called us to. To make. Let's pray together. What yet then shall we say to these things? I believe if Paul, the Apostle Paul, was here with us today, he would be telling us to examine ourselves. Especially in light of the times that we see that we are in, we are to examine our hearts. 
Do these things, are they indicative of the life that we live, of the heart posture that's within us? I want us to pray about these four points that Pastor Tom shared with us, these four aspects of the apostolic church. I want us to pray for that. You may be saying, well, I'm, I'm covered there. Well, you know what? Maybe you are, maybe you're not. Let's just pray and ask God to help us to cultivate a heart that covers these four aspects. You know, the, the sons of Issachar, they, were, they had the anointing to understand, understand the times that they were in. That the spirit of revelation and the spirit of understanding were released into their lives. And I want us to pray that that will be released into our own lives as we examine ourselves. That it will cause us to walk in total synchronization with the time clock of heaven that we will loose ourselves from this time delay spirit, that we're apathetic in the things of God, that we will no longer lag behind or live in spiritual confusion and apathy, but let's just decree an alignment over our thought life, over the patterns of our lives, a divine alignment to God's timetable in our lives, that we will not squander the times that we are in, but we will walk circumspectfully of our hearts and of our lives. So the first thing I want us to pray on is Pastor Tom talked about service. This church was commended because of their service unto the Lord. So let's just pray about that right now. Lord, the scripture says that we are to work while it is still day, for night is coming. Therefore, we must occupy. We're reminded of the those that you left talents to, Lord God. The master left, and he told them to occupy. Some he, one he gave one talent to, and then two talent, and then five talent, and they were to occupy until you return. But one of them buried the talent Lord, may we not bury the talent that you've given us. May we stir up the gift of the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of us, the gifts that he has given us, the gifts that he has given us to, to mandate on, in the earth, to utilize in the earth, to bless others, to bless the church, to bless our co-workers in our neighborhood, everywhere we go to everyone we meet. Lord, we say that we are at your disposal, that you would use our lives, Lord, to, as, as you choose to. May it be pleasing, Savior unto our, your nostrils we shall not become weary in well-doing but in due season we know that if we do not grow weary we shall reap so we will serve as unto the Lord it's not seeking the applause of, of a man but rather seeking the applause of God so that we can hear like the faithful stewards that we can hear well done thy good and faithful servants so now Lord God we serve unto you we live unto you we love as unto you Lord because we we love you we serve you because we love you but only because you first loved us so we give ourselves our talents our abilities our gifts unto you would you use it for your glory in the mighty name of Jesus we will not squander what you placed on the inside of us we will not push away the gifts and the abilities that is inside of us we will not be like the foolish um, servant that buried his talent Lord God we will occupy come on just type in the comment section I will occupy until you return until the master return the second thing I want us to pray about is that we will be steadfast come on someone type steadfast may we remain steadfast immovable and firm in the things of God we shall be not be tossed to and fro we shall not be double-minded unstable in all our ways but Lord we commit to be steady to be consistent to press forward to have perseverance Lord Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray for fervent perseverance. I pray for fervent faith. Come on, if that's you, just say, Lord, I'm asking for fervent faith that I will not waver, that I will not be distracted, that I will not wander from the truth, but I will stand immovable. I will stand steadfast. I will endure. Someone type in the comment section, I will endure, not being pulled to the left nor the right, but in these hours of difficulty, we shall endure, for he who endures will obtain the crown that which awaits them if they endure patiently. The next thing I want us to pray about is that we will stand against evil. Come on, somebody. Say, I will stand against evil. I will resist the devil. I will resist evil. We will stand against it. We have no communion with darkness, for we are the children of the light. Therefore, we will not call evil good and good evil, but we will allow the light of the Holy Spirit to expose evil deeds and stand against it at its very appearance. 
righteousness. We will stand for holiness. We will stand for godliness. We will love what God loves and abhor and detest what he hates. We will be children of the light, sons and daughters of God. We won't live one way in the church and then another way in the world. We won't love God in the walls of the church but hate our neighbor and hate our co-worker. We will examine ourselves to see if we are walking in light of the truth and hate evil and shun evil. We will not be lovers of, of this world. We will not love immorality. We will not be lovers of self, but we will be lovers of God and imitators of Christ Jesus. Therefore, somebody type, therefore, we will uphold sound doctrine. So many people are running away with itchy ear doctrines, going after what soothes their ears. We shall not be seduced by any itchy ear doctrine, but we will love the gospel of Jesus Christ, being anchored in his truth. Jesus overcame Satan in the wilderness with it is written. But do you know what is written? I pray that we will become lovers of the word of God, that we will hunger and thirst for the bread of life, the word of God. The scripture says man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, every word, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Somebody type, I will live by the word of God. We shall know the truth, the word of God, and the truth will set us free. Oh God, I ask that you will help us to cultivate a passion for your word. Not just to know your word, but to obey the word, to live the word, to be transformed by the word. Come on, somebody say, Lord, transform me by your word. I want to delight myself in the truth. Hide it in your heart. Hide it in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Oh God, let your word change us. Let it transform us let it set us free and then enable us to be carriers of your word that we would not we would scatter the seeds of your word everywhere we go to everyone we meet in the mighty strong name of Jesus can somebody just type amen amen and amen so let it be hallelujah, hallelujah. thank you Lord hallelujah now the reason I wanted us to pray about this and the reason I wanted Pastor Nadine to lead us into that prompting time of prayer is because these are qualities of an apostolic church. And they're qualities that you and I must have in our life. But see, the issue was, is that wasn't the main correction that Jesus would have. They were doing that well, and it wasn't that he was preaching against that or, or saying that what they were doing was wrong. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be doing those things. We should be doing those things. But he said, and I read it to you, let me read it again in verse 4 of chapter 2. Yet there is one thing wrong. You see, I've got a correction I want to give to you. And see, one of the work of the Spirit in our life is a work where he comes and he begins to align us and correct us and change us and open our eyes and reveal to us the things that we need to know. And this is what he said, I have this one thing, you don't love me as at first think about those times of your first love how different now it is well turn back to me turn back again and work as you did before you see the correction is you don't love me like you loved me at first the love that they had for God when they first experienced God something had happened and something had taken place. A drift had happened within this heart and, and it's so easy to say, how could this be? How could it happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. You see, I told you in the introduction that Paul planted this church, Acts chapter 19, he planted the church. It would have been around A.D. 53, 54 is when he would have planted the church. We know that John is writing this revelation in A.D. 90. So here we're looking, 35, 37, maybe 40 years later, he's writing this letter. Now think about your own walk with God. Many of you have been serving the Lord for, for that many years or more. Some of you have been walking with God for many years. How easy it is to drift in our walk and our relationship with him. You see, 35 years have gone by and there's a drift that's taking place. Now, before I talk to you about what we can do 
let's remind ourselves about first love feelings. Remember those feelings of first love. Maybe when you first fell in love. I remember, I've talked about it many times, when I first met Pastor Candy and, uh, and uh, we began to date, many, uh, actually we, we didn't even start dating when we first met, several years went by before we began to date. But in those early days, I remember that first love feelings was an insatisfied, insatisf you know, feelings of, of desire. It was an insatiable, you know, desire and, and longing to uh, be with Candy and to to learn more about her. I mean, there would be long talks, long walks. I mean, it was just something that wasn't satisfied. And, and, and it was like, we always were wanting to be together more and more and more. Man, there was heavy investment into the relationship. That was before internet. It was before cell phones. It was back when you paid, you know, like so much per minute to make a long distance call. And I was going to seminary up in uh, Springfield, Missouri. And Candy was here in Florida. And man, we would call every night. And we would have phone bills that were just huge phone bills. It was like I was working for a phone bill, I felt like. And every break, I would fly down and try to uh, see her and spend time there was heavy investment into that relationship in fact when we got married I was working several different jobs and and candy would come one of the jobs that I had was I was umpiring softball games men's softball league at night I was umpiring and she would come into the bleachers and just be there because in between innings we would sit and we would talk and you know and we would just spend that time together a heavy investment you do anything to develop the relationship and also, those first love feelings has an intense preoccupation. I mean, think about it. I mean, you can think about them. You, you, uh, you, you know, you begin to imagine things. And uh, I can remember when we were uh, separated in our long distance relationship uh, in those days, I would write letters. And back then, there was no email. So I would have to put a stamp on it, mail it, send it, you know. And just about every day, I'd try to get a letter and uh, write it to her. There was an intense preoccupation preoccupation. Those were those feelings of first love. But what happens? Well, time goes by. You begin to drift. Here, I can tell you what happened in the church. And I can tell you as a pastor for many years, I've watched it in believers. Now, this is a warning to anyone that's walked with God for any number of years in your life. What happens is you begin to drift. Your love, your passion for Christ begins to drift. The feelings that you had at one time for Christ, well, now you don't quite have those same feelings any, long, any longer. You know, there's not that intense preoccupation anymore. There's not that intense pursuit. Been there, done it, experienced it, been around a long time, heard that scripture before, and before you know it, you're drifting. You don't have the passion and the fire that you once had. Another thing I can tell you that happens is that your faith very easily can turn into a ritual, to a routine. It, it, it just becomes something that you're, you're used to doing. And, and I can see that the church of Ephesus, it's very easy to fall into that. They were working, they were serving, it was what they did. It was the, you know, it was the classes that they took, it was the environments that they were in. I mean, I can see that there is no longer though, and so easy to have that intense investment any longer into the relationship. It becomes ritual and routine. Bible reading gets stale. You, you find yourself having read that before and now you just skip it and you move past it or, or you know what it's gonna say and so you don't study it. And before long, you find yourself drifting. It's so easy, it happens. Christ was no longer first in their life. I don't know what they put first in their life. Maybe it was their serving. Maybe they had gotten self-absorbed. Yeah. I mean, I saw this in, in the early days of Pentecost when Pentecostal believers would first experience God. But then years go by and now there's not a fresh outpouring and a fresh pursuit, fresh manna, fresh revelation, a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. Maybe the pursuit of life the demands of life, the pursuit of, 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 of survival, the persecution that they were under maybe had them drift back and drift into a corner, maybe their programs, their service, their outreach. I don't know, so many things. 
but there wasn't that desire any longer. That desire to touch him and to be with him and to pursue him. That incredible zeal that they once had and the passion that they once had. For some reason, it had grown cold. They had drifted in it. And boy, it's not intentional. It doesn't happen intentionally. How many times have you and I paused in our own hearts and lives? And maybe right now, we need to do it again. And you pause and you realize, you know, I don't have that fire. It's not, it's not a flame like it once, once was. See, the reality is it happens to all of us. We have to fight against it. We have to be aware of it. We gotta be careful of it because Jesus said, you're doing all of this right. These are all the things that are good. But the problem here is I'm not first in your life anymore. I'm not first. Go back to where you once were. Go back to the way it was and begin to experience me afresh and anew again. So what he says to him is he says to, to them, he says to the church of Ephesus and he says to you and I, here's the point is he says, I want you. I want you to go back. I want you to love me like you first loved me. I want you to love me with all of your heart. In fact, let me read that scripture to you in Mark chapter two. In Mark chapter two, see Jesus says, nevertheless, this is the problem I have. He says, the condition of your heart is not right. And the kind of relationship that God wants for you and I He tells us in Mark chapter 12, I said two, Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Love the Lord your God. See, it starts with a personal relationship. In fact, you might be listening to me right now And the reality is you don't have a personal relationship. You've never given your life to Christ. Right now, you can do that. Right now, you can say, Father, come into my life. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I understand that you are the one that came to save the world. You came to save me, to save me from the sin that separated me from the Father, Father God. And today I ask you to save me, forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and my life. It's a personal relationship. Love God, it's your God. It's it's a walk with God, it's an intimacy with him. It's a personal relationship. God is not distant. He's not impersonal. God is there, he's in that space. He's not removed and he wants to walk with you. And he says, love me. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. The heart is the emotions. It's the expression of your life. It's your affection. Love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your emotion. Think about those first love feelings. Those love feelings at first, that's the kind of feelings that God wants us to have for him. That we love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul. The soul is the essence of man. The soul is what separates animal life from, the, from, from human life, the consciousness, all of life and awareness of all that we are. The soul is our thoughts, our, uh, it's, a, it's the essence of man. That is what God says he wants us to love him with. All of our mind, our heart, our soul, our mind. Our mind is our thoughts. Our mind is our reasoning, our understanding, what a man thinks. And with all of our strength, with everything that's within us, we love him with everything that's there. And so he says to the church of Ephesus, as we wrap up this message today, he says, I want you to remember. Remember that first love. Remember the way it was when you first met the Lord? Do you remember when you first met Christ? Do you remember those feelings? Do you you remember the hunger that was there? The pursuit of God that you had? I remember. I remember I couldn't get enough of the word. I, I remember I read and I read and I read and I read. Things that I used to be interested in, no longer were they of interest to me because now there was such a love for God. He says, remember what it was like. Go back to the former ways. Go back to the beginning. Go back to when you first met me. Go back to those intense feelings of love that you had for me. Every time I'm in a baptismal service, I can't help but be reminded of, the, of those days when I was baptized and, 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 and to remember the feelings that I had. And it's always a moment of saying, God, help me. 
Help me not to lose this love. Let me not lose this passion. Let me not lose the intimacy of a relationship with you. He says to the church of Ephesus, he says, remember the way it was. And then he says, I want you to repent. Repent, we've looked at over the last several weeks. Repenting is changing your course, turning some things around. Maybe your heart's grown cold. Maybe it's callous. Maybe you're not as moved like you once was. Maybe during COVID, many people have said, Pastor, I find myself drifting. My walk with God has grown complacent and, and I've drifted in my relationship with the Lord. Maybe it's a moment of just saying, God, I repent of that. God, I, 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 I repent of, of these feelings. I repent that so many other things have gotten in between me and you. So much that's taken my, my focus and, and it's distracted me away. And so, God, I come back to those emotions and those feelings and that, that place. And I ask you, oh God, to help me once again. And it's a moment of prayer. It's a moment of repentance. And then that returning, going back, he says, I want you to go back. Because if you don't, I'm going to come and I'm going to remove the lampstand. I'm going to take out the fire. And man, there's a deep study that's there. But the challenge is don't let anything get in between your walk and your relationship with the Lord. You see, the message to the, the church of Ephesus was that they were a loveless church. The four things we talked about are great apostolic qualities. But we can't do those five without having the fifth. And that is a love for God, an agape love. It's, the word is agape. It's a sacrificial love. It's a, it's a love for God. And if we don't have that kind of love for God, that love for God, by the way, flows into our love for one another. Then no matter what we do, he says, I hold this against you. And so today I want us to take a couple minutes in the final moments of our service. And I want us to yield. I want us to surrender. I want us to renew I want us to renew our relationship. I mean, if God was to DM you or to email you, what would he be saying to you today? You see, we've titled this series, Dear Church. But maybe you should cross out the word church and put your name. Dear, and you put your name. Dear Tom, I have a word for you. I have a message for you. I love your energy. I love your enthusiasm. I love your generosity. I love your, your honesty. Man, you don't put up with hypocrisy. Hypocrisy's not been a problem for you. You're not a pretender, but I have this problem. Man, you lack discernment. You don't have the love that you once had. You don't have a pursuit for me like you once had. See, what would Jesus be saying to you and I if he sent us a specific message? You see, I think the word of encouragement would be don't lose focus. Don't lose what you've had. Don't lose those first love feelings. Follow me. Yield to me. Surrender to me. And that is the message today. Maybe our hearts are grown cold. Maybe we've gotten complacent. Maybe we've drifted. Maybe it's become a ritual, a routine. Man, it's so easy to take on a religious spirit. Maybe that's what's happened. We're judgmental. We're critical. And real, the reality is it can happen to all of us. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.